Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk to Peter King about his retirement plans, and we'll also talk to Stephen Nesbitt of The Athletic about the issues with the new uniforms in baseball. But first, let's do some commerce. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. And I'm on 13. I'm about to take a tee shot on 13. It's very hard, par three. But I'm playing from the green tees. I'm way up, so I'm really not worried. You know, I got a five rescue in my hand. I know I'm going to clear the water. I'm not going to clear the water. I might clear the trap. I might go to the next hole. And I go, serendipitously. (laughs) Serendipitously. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Let us start with solar news from Ooh. Steve the Sycophant. On Thursday, February 29th, which is tomorrow. That's correct. The sun will set in D.C. at 6 p.m. That's will set at 6 p.m. After that, it will not set before 6 p.m. until November 3rd. Enjoy your late afternoon golf. <laughs> Thank you to Steve. We've made it. Yeah. Yes, we, uh, we finally got through. As Barry Manilow would say, I made it through the rain. Um, a couple of things to start with, with people that, that most of you may remember or may know. My friend Jody, my dear friend who I went to camp with and I've known for 65 years. Jody is an arthritis doctor in South Florida. Jody sent me uh, some sleeping pants. I've worn them for the last couple of nights. They're lovely. I appreciate that. Nobody else has to send me these, but Jody <laughs> sent them to me. Thank you, Jody. Michael, why don't you tell the people about Colin St. Maxon's new arrival? Oh, yes. Our, our good friend of the show, Colin St. Maxon's and his wife, Lindsay, they welcomed a baby girl this past weekend with a fantastic birth date of 2 24 uh, oh, So I just good. want to share that we're, uh, we're so thrilled for that family. And she is Catherine, right? She is Catherine. Uh, yes. Okay. I talked to Kip Schmeeman last night. Um, we were talking on the phone. And, uh, and he says, Kevin says... That's the end of winter. I said, are you sure? And he said, there's, there's a cold air mass that might form in about 10 days, but I don't know. 
I don't know. And I said, well, did you tell camera? <laughs> and he said, well, I would think camera would know. Now, camera the other day was, was sort of on the fence about his winter forecast. When I saw him a couple of weeks ago, he was a little bit upset because he, he went in big on that one. He that pushed did. all yes. the chips to the table that this was going to be a big winter in D.C. for snow. And it started out two snows. I don't want to say snowstorms, but two, but two four to five inch events in December. And then another one that didn't really crank out on a Friday in February. Yeah. And he was a little bit worried that that might be it. And he would look foolish, you know, look foolish. I mean, you give it your best shot. But if Kevin is right, that's it. I don't know. What do you think, Michael? Uh, No matter what now, we have what I like to call the sun angle effect. So even if we were to get a little last clip here, I don't think it would be a huge event or uh, disruption for us. But, you know, it's the problem with these averages. Right now we're probably still a couple inches below average for the year. But then you think about the the effect of if you get one snowstorm, if you get one blizzard, and it's probably been over a decade since we've had, you know, uh, 12 inches of snow for one one event. But I think you're okay, Tony. Once, once you get that time change, once you get that warm sun in the afternoon, it's, it's really hard for it to accumulate. I hate the time change. Hate the time you hate change. the first two weeks of it, but you love what it brings you. Yes, but I hate the first two weeks because we're back into darkness, walking the dog till after 7 in the morning. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that now. I mean, even if it's a, a cloudy, gloomy day, by 6.15 or 6.30, there's light in the sky, and we're going to go backwards on that. I had a couple of things to say. I was wandering through the television last night because I had really nothing to do for a while, and I alighted on two different games. One, the Wizards against Golden State. If any of you actually thought the Wizards were going to win this game, even though they were ahead at the quarter, you're, it's foolish. The Draymond They're not pool. trying to win. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Poole did not have a, a good shooting night. I'm sure Draymond Green was in his head, oh, if yeah. not, you know, real close to his body. <laughs> right. um, you know, and the Wizards lose, and, and I don't know what the spread was. I don't care about that. The Wizards lose. I think that's their 10th straight loss. They're not trying to win. And as I've said many times, um, you should padlock the doors of that arena, and you should not let them in it. Let them go play in George Mason. If they want to move to Virginia down the road, let them move now. That's their problem. It's not your problem in the district. It's their problem. You should tell them you can't wear these shirts. Yeah. You, can't, you, you yeah. can't use the Washington Monument. As you can't do it. Get out. Don't let the door hit you <laughs> on the way out. And if they're going to be here, they should lower the price of tickets because they're not trying to win. They're not trying to win. Read the quotes by the coach. He's trying to develop something for the future, not the present. They're not trying to win. If they have raised tickets this year and their intention is not to win, they should be forced by the league to roll back those raises in the prices. They're not trying to win. I watched a little bit of that, and I watched a little bit of Georgetown Villanova. Georgetown's awful. Georgetown's awful. Can you look up, Nigel, can you look up in the last three years, counting this year, or maybe even the last four years, but certainly the last three years, counting this year, what their record in the Big East is? Because it's horrendous. It's like Mexico's record against the United States women until they won the other night. That was the second time they'd won ever. They're now 240 uh, and one. 
something like that, something really ridiculous. All right, so yeah, uh, this year two and fifteen, last year two and eighteen, the year before that zero and nineteen, the Ofer zero and nineteen, two fourteen, two fifteen, two eighteen and two fifteen. Okay, so and the last the last decent year they ha- yeah, that's fifty two. That's four and fifty two. <laughs> That's four and fifty-two in the Big East at 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 various points in early in the second half. They're down thirty. They're down thirty points. Georgetown, Georgetown and Villanova. These are not trifles in the history of college basketball. They are not. They played one of the greatest games in the history of college basketball. There are two coaches. There are many more, I'm sure, who are brand new in the Big East. But there are two this year who are brand new in the Big East, though not brand new to college basketball coaching. One is Rick Pitino at St. John's, a historically important basketball program. Yes. One is Ed Cooley at Georgetown, a historically important basketball program. Rick Pitino said the other day, this is the least enjoyable year I've ever had in my life coaching. He's above 500. What's, what's St. John's record? They're above 500. If it's bad for Rick Pitino, how about for Ed Cooley? How about for Ed Cooley? Did a pretty good job at Providence. Everybody said when Ed Cooley signed to go to Georgia, hey, pretty good coach. This is pretty good. We're going to get away from the entire Thompson routine with Thompson and his son and Craig Escherich previously and, you know, Patrick Ewing. It's time to move away. We're going to get Ed Cooley. That's a real good idea. They're terrible. Nobody could imagine. They, they're every bit as bad as they were with Patrick Ewing. What's their record? St. John's, uh, eight and nine conference, 16 and 12 overall. 16 and 12 overall. Yeah. Okay, they're winning record. What's Georgetown overall? Overall, Georgetown is just under 500 at nine and 19. Just under 500. 10 under 500. <laughs> right. And two and 15 in the Big East. I mean, if you're a Georgetown fan, are you thinking if we could, if we could get a do-over on this, we'd go get another coach? Would you want this coach? Does it look like there's any progress? Like this year, does it look like next year maybe there's going to be progress? But you've got to shred the whole team. You've got to come in with all new players because this, this, this group mm. is not working. It's simply not working. So I watched a little bit of that. It's amazing the heights that they've fallen from, both those programs, you know? Villanova's okay. Villanova's they're 8-8, okay. and eight, eight and eight, I think, in league, or 9-8 yeah. and eight now in league, but they're not what they were with Jay Wright. But Georgetown, Georgetown. I, I if, if DePaul's not in the league, they don't have any wins, is right? The, DePaul, yeah, DePaul is, yeah, they're dead last, 0-16 in the conference. Yeah. yeah. There's not a situation where the Georgetown basketball would just go away, is there? Like go to the Patriot League or something like that. Ugh. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, boy, it's not great. Uh, the two, two of these basketball programs are important to Washington, D.C. and environs. Georgetown, Wizards. They're terrible at the moment. Um, one small thing. I respect the littles who email us. I do very much. Um, if you tell me that there's good food at a certain place, I'm going to try and go if I'm anywhere near that. Sure. When I talked a couple of weeks ago about my pizza situation at Casa de Leo in Rehoboth, and how nice they were to bring over a pizza because we took home the pizza was not the pizza that we ordered. And I talked about that. And I talked about how good the pizza was. And Nigel, you've had Casa de Leo pizza. I have. It's, it's tremendous. No, it's okay. really good. So we got a couple of notes 
Am I correct in this, Michael? We got a couple of email saying, oh, no, 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 no. You got to go to Ava's, right? We at least received one. Uh, yes, I, Ava's looks I like thought there's it was more a few, than one. There's a few a locations yeah. throughout Maryland into the beach area. Yeah, and they have a place in St. Michael's. They have a place Cambridge. in Rehoboth. Yeah, you know, you got to go to Ava's. You got to go to Ava's. I, I tried to go to Ava's last week when I was out at the beach. I called up. And they didn't answer their phone. Well, did you leave I a le- message? I did. I left my name and number. They never called me back. The next day, I did the same thing. I called. They didn't answer their phone. So I, I didn't bother to leave a name and number. But I called three and four and five times for two days in a row. And then I went in there the next week. And I got this guy. And I said, I, you know, I've, I've called the number. And he's looking at me like, who is this old man? Like, who cares about this guy? And I said, you know, I've I called. And he said, really, uh, when did you call? Because, you know, we don't open until 4. I said, yeah, I know. So I called, you know, between 6.15 and 6.45. He said, we're slammed then. We're not going to answer the phone. I said, oh, well, then how would I order, you know, if you're not going to? No, no, you order online. And he was very brusque with me and treated me poorly. And I said, okay, fine. I talked to somebody else who was a lot nicer. I ended up going there. It's, it's okay, right? It's okay. It's all right. It's not as good as Casa de Leo. It is not as good as Casa de Leo. It's not as good as Casa it's de, de Leo. Not. All right, yeah. this question is going to anger you. What style pizza is it? Like, is it a, is it a personal like, Yes, this was style? a personal pizza. Is we got Neapolitan? a margarita pizza and a pepperoni pizza. And it was fine. It was fine, yeah. but I, you know, it was not, yeah, I know where you're going on this because, because what Casa de Leo advertises is what they call New York style pizza. It, it just, it looks like, like pizza that you think of when you think of pizza. You know, you have That's a big right. slice if you get it by a slice, you have a, a, a pie that is a, you know, huge family style versus just getting something that is, yes, know, like a personal to order. So, for, so what I should person. say, and Michael makes a very good point, I should say, in terms of my taste and my preferences, I prefer the other. Right? Is that fair to say? Uh, yes, and the bigger the bigger admission here is that you you admit that there are different styles of acceptable pizza. Well, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because when you get to the word styles, then you're just going to start laughing at me about my insistence that there is no such thing as New York style pizza, that there's only pizza. Pizza. Well, you've, right. well, you've never been to Sabaro then. I've been to Sabaro. It's, it's, what is, it's like what? It's like not very good, Sabaro, right? Am I wrong? No. It's, oh, it's, nothing hits better than two slices of Sabaro after being dragged through a mall. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, or it's, on your way to catch okay an Amtrak. Then? Yeah. I, uh, I mean, all it's pizza is inherently time, fine. Yeah. yeah. But, you know. Isn't that, it's, isn't that uh, Gene's rule? All pizza is fine? Yeah, Jeannie McManus, uh, f- former food editor. Yes. Loves all pizza. Yeah. Love, can't, can't sell her that there's bad pizza anywhere. Yeah. She loves pizza. But So I'm not saying this wasn't... Gr- well, no. I'm saying... My preference was for something I grew up with. Which well, is it different. doesn't sound like you were ready to have a good experience when they didn't answer your phone call. 
<laughs> it was well, one of the people that I talked to afterwards said that their phones went out for those two days and they were sorry about that, as opposed to the guy who just looked at me and said, We're slammed then, buddy. <laughs> Get to tell it tell it walking. <laughs> you know, really. I'm here to like give you money. Right, yeah. I have my what? money. I'd like to buy you a product. Could you at least pretend to care? I was but not briefly full price in the restaurant you were looking, business. You were looking for that two for one Monday deal. <laughs> you know, you know, anyway. But I would say this if you're gonna go to Casa de Leo and get you know, just want a, a couple of slices, get one. It's big. They're big they slices. A lot, but it's good. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah. All right, we will take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to somebody I've not met, Stephen Nesbitt of The Athletic, um, because he's on this story about the baseball uniforms. Baseball players are dissatisfied, by and large, with the new unis, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool story. So we will have Stephen Nesbitt when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. The performer in this case goes by the name of Worm Catcher. That's what I said. Worm Catcher. This is a a song called Red. Yes. It is sent to us by her father, Joe Canali, who writes... First off, thank you for the thousands of hours of entertainment. Literally thousands. I probably should have been working. Anyway, <laughs> a few years ago, I sent some music written and performed by my daughter, Sophia, and it went so well that I'm sending you more. She's currently attending the Clive Davis School of Music in New York wow. and performing under the name Wormcatcher. If the listeners want to check out a fellow little, now it shifts to Joe. I will be performing some long-form improv in Boca Raton, Florida this weekend, March 1 and 2, at the studio at Misner Park, Michael and I know where Misner Park is, along with Tim Meadows from Saturday Night Live and some other friends. (laughs) Wow. If you're wondering what the heck is long-form improv, it's an art form started in Chicago at places like Second City and Improv Olympic. In the show, a group of improvisers will take a suggestion of a word or phrase or something and then proceed to improvise sketches inspired by that information for the next 45 minutes of an hour or so. While many people know Tim Meadows from his days on Saturday Night Live and the Mean Girl movies, He's also a pioneer in the art of long-form improvisation and one of the best to ever do it. But since I'm the one writing to you and he isn't, if the spot isn't taken, I'd like to be the official improviser of the Tony Kornheiser show. So, yeah. And this, again, is his daughter, Sophia, performing as Wormcatcher with a song read that plays in Stephen Nesbitt. I don't know Stephen Nesbitt. I know him by reputation. I know he works at The Athletic. But we were... Talking, we've been talking for about four or five days, doing something on the baseball uniforms, and we didn't know who to talk to, so we talked to Evan Drellick, 
That's right. And he said, talk to Stephen Nesbitt. Yes. So we have Stephen on the line. It's a long introduction. And I'm, I'm going to just start with this. The other night on PTI, maybe last week, Thursday or Friday, we, we did this story. And neither Wilbon or I knew much about it, which is to say we went in like we always do. <laughs> stupid. But I had read that Major League Baseball players, there's not enough pants for them. They don't like the pants that they have. They don't like the shirts. The numbers are too small. The names are too small. And the material feels cheap. No, that doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> Stephen, is, is that the essence of it? Are baseball players, and if it's true, what sort of percentage of baseball players are dissatisfied with the uniforms? Is it the pants? Is it the shirts? Is it both? <clears throat> Thanks for having me on, Tony. I, I would say if I had to put them into... Uh, a percentage, I would say a majority don't like something about these jerseys. It's not necessarily everything. Um, the the feel of the new fabric, I think players generally are okay with it. The look of it, uh, Paul Paul Lucas from UniWatch has called it, uh, it looks like a paper towel. And it kind of does, if you look up closely, the, just the design of it. Um, doesn't look as major league as maybe you're accustomed to it looking. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. if you ask players, their primary concern is with the pants. Not only that they don't have them yet, which they'd like to be able to wear them in before opening day, but uh, it's, the, it's the feel of them. They can no longer sort of tailor and customize these pants that they're going to be wearing for most of the summer. And they have uh, been put into, by Fanatics and Nike, four body-type buckets uh, based on their sizes. And uh, they, they find that uh, it doesn't fit their, their uh, big dumpers, shall we say, quite the way it used to. And uh, their, their thighs, these pitchers, you know, they've got big thighs, Huge. big, uh, big Huge. dumpers. And, uh, and they don't quite fit as, uh, as properly and as uh, customized as the players would like these days. How, tell me who's got the contract. <laughs> tell me how they got the contract. And tell me if there was dissatisfaction with the last company that had the contract. So who, the company who previously had it was Majestic Athletics. They had it from 2005 uh, until 2019. That's when Nike took over. However, it wasn't seamless transition in December of 2019 because Under Armour was actually supposed to first have it. I think it was 2016, Under Armour won the bid to become uh, MLB's official uniform supplier through the 2020s as a 10-year contract, and that kind of just fell through. At some point in 2018, it's reported that that's not going to happen, and Nike uh, swoops in, gets that contract, and the, the strange thing about all this, Tony, and it's not actually that world, if you, uh, that strange if you follow the uniform world, but Nike takes over the contract but they essentially keep the majestic template that was in place. And Fanatics, who had, you, people might know Fanatics from being very displeased from their, their retail products. Um, <laughs> Fanatics bought, bought, they bought Majestic, and so they were technically in charge of making the Majestic uniforms. And so now the Nike uniforms are still made at the same old Majestic plant in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, so, uh, so Fanatics is still um, in control of the manufacturing side of things, while Nike is in charge of the things that players generally are unhappy about, which is the fit in the design. Eastern Pennsylvania, home of Larry Holmes, the Eastern assassin, oh, yes. by the way, as all sports is connected. Were players, Stephen, were the players unhappy with the previous uniforms? I mean, I'm, I'm sure the players have nothing to do with this, that the contracts go above their heads, but were they happy or unhappy with the previous uniforms? <laughs> as far as I've heard, they were happy. There was no need for major change. I think the, the desire for major change happens more on the league level, which is you partner with Nike because they are going to do something different, and whether that's bringing right. new fans with a 
with a with a, a new fresh look, or it's just Nike wanting to bring in their own fabric, their own design, and, and change something and make it a Nike product. Whereas uh, before it was more like they were slapping a Nike logo on a majestic product. And uh, and so players from from who I've spoken to did not have a problem with the previous version, and now they just feel like, as I said, there's something a little less major league about the look and feel of this. Well, let me get back to this because I'm really old and don't understand this. If Nike is, is, you know, if the swoosh is on these things, why isn't Nike itself making these things? Why did they farm it out? I'm not totally sure why, why this started. All I can tell you is that it happens in other sports. So right now in the NHL, Adidas makes uniforms um, out of a plant in, I believe it's Quebec. And when Fanatics is taking over that, um, that contract this fall for the next NHL season, Fanatics is still going to keep making it out of that same plant. Um, where I guess there are just plants that are sort of specialists in making a certain uniform. And so um, I don't know exactly why, but I think the idea is if you're Nike, you can provide all of this material, this fabric, and all of the designs to Fanatics, and they can print it to your specifications. Wait, wait, and wait, so, uh, wait. Until now, there wasn't a concern, I guess. Hold on a second. If the baseball players are dissatisfied with these Fanatic uniforms, why would why would hockey think that hockey players would be satisfied with the same stuff? Yeah, this is one of the primary uh, responses I'm getting to these stories as well. Anything NHL can do to get out of this uh, out of this deal, I don't know because in in truth, is a Fanatic uniform really going to be all that different from from Adidas? I'm not sure. It seems like there's a lot of uh, I don't know, a lot of companies in bed together to make a very similar product. And, and what's right. really changed here is, is the new fabric and the new design. And so Fanatics, for as much blame as they're getting, it doesn't actually th- it seem as if they have much of a hand in changing anything here in the baseball side of things. Were these things the baseball? Let me stay with the baseball uniforms because hockey is going to be a different subject here. Were the baseball uniforms test marketed with players on any level? I mean, what, what we were told the other day was players weren't even measured they weren't measured so the uniforms could be tailored. They were, as you said, put into one of four body types with a body scan. Are you kidding me? Do you think Michael Wilbon would wear a jacket that wasn't personally measured to him with the money he's spending? There's no chance of that. Yeah, so, so um, in the past, players were able to tailor pretty much whatever they wanted. <clears throat> and now they, there was some level of, of testing this on players. Apparently they, they tried this. Uh, template um, a little bit in spring training, but as you know, you've seen spring training photos. The, the uniform in spring training often looks radically different from the one in the yes. regular season, and no one yes. really cares. Um, yes. But in the regular season, they've been using their their old template. The only time they rolled this out for an actual um, major league ish game would be the All Star game last summer in Seattle. And now, mind you, this is Seattle. It's not you know Phoenix, Arizona, or somewhere sweltering hot. But players yeah. gave po- positive reviews. However, as I look back and track down all the players that gave positive reviews, as as did the ones. This spring, it's all Nike athletes, so they were, let's say, uh, oh, they had some incentive to be giving some positive reviews. So, um, so, so yeah, that that it's kind of um, unclear to me whether they were actually get, getting positive reviews from the uh, from the unbiased player. Yeah. Uh, but there was there was some testing, and, and the testing they did last year it was last spring. They body scanned 300 players, and I guess that's how they came up with this these, these four buckets for body types. But uh, no, mm-hmm. as as uh, as us non-athletes know, the, the body type bucket you throw me in, it may just not fit. I'm going to have to try in a couple different pairs of these pants to really I, know what I, I like. To- I totally agree with that. And, and just let, let me get to some numbers here. How many uniforms usually per player over the course of a season, and how much does a, a uniform cost? So 
on the, on the retail market or, or for the major? No, league I mean in, in Major League Baseball, if you are an everyday player, if you're Mookie Betts, how many uniforms will you have over the course of a season? It's got to be eight to ten, right? Maybe more. I would imagine that's about right. So the players I've talked to said you generally start the season with about five. Now you have a home, away, alternate. Oftentimes you have a city yeah. connect uniform as well. So. Um, you're going to have that. The clubbies will have backups um, for most everybody. I, I would, I mean, the guys who slide and dive a lot, I would imagine 10 is probably low. You're going to end up having to, yeah. to order more throughout the season. So, there, so there's that. I, I don't actually know the number of what it costs to, to make a major league uniform or what it did or if it's any different now than it was a year ago right. uh, with his, with his new, new fabric and design. Um, but on the retail market, it's anywhere from you know 170 to $470 is what I've seen. So we're talking about a lot of uniforms, and we're talking about a lot of money. Is there an alternative? Are, are the, is the players' union, is Tony Clark, suggested an alternative? Has anybody said, we're not playing this, as Wilbon would say, hocus-pocus junk. <laughs> we're not playing in it. Has, is, is, has it come to that? No, not, not at this point, because the, the great question is, like, will we have the pants that we need for the start of the season? That will really uh, <laughs> dictate a lot is, is the actual supply. And right. uh, as of right now, they don't. A lot of teams are, if you're looking at your team and thinking like, ah, I don't notice anything weird about the uniform. Well, it might not be this year's uniform. You might be looking at last year's product. And so uh, a lot of teams are going to be not sure when these are actually going to come in. They're going to have their full 2024 set of uniforms. Um, so as of right now, no, the, the PA has not offered any alternate suggestion. Uh, what's happening now is, is I think MLB and Nike and Fanatics are attempting to address the fit issues and trying to do a little bit of extra tailoring from what I've been told. Um, but the design issues, I don't think it's uh, there's any time to, to redo that much designing uh, of these uh, uniform tops. And uh, we, we actually an interesting story came out yesterday with these much maligned uh, jersey lettering on the back, the last name lettering. Uh, yeah. UniWatch had had, uh, had this, this big exclusive that the Kansas City Royals actually are using larger, normal-looking lettering from previous seasons and when he asked Sam Mellinger, their VP of communications, like, how did that work? Uh, Mellinger just said, well, we, we didn't like the way it looked, so we, so we asked Nike if they could use the old one, and, and they did. So <laughs> I think there are 29 other teams right now. It's like, wait, you could, just, you could just do that? Yeah, that would be if you could do that. That's the end of these new uniforms. I also was told they didn't like the fact that the pants were translucent and people could see right through them. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, speaking of worm catcher, these players not super happy with the way – that uh, the, the new pants are showing off some parts, some, some parts that probably shouldn't be shown off. Uh, whether that's from the fit perspective, we're getting some more, um, let's just kind of sort of not suitable for work photos coming out. Um, and the other part of it is the, the see-through nature of, of these pants is Major League Baseball is, is telling you, and it's a lot of re- reporters, that uh, they've always been sort of see-through. These white pants, you put them in the photo day setup, you know, three to five lights. Um, and flashbulbs popping, and, and they're going to you're going to see the sort of shirt tail underneath the belt. You're going to see the right. uh, the sliding pad underneath there, and it's true to some extent, but it seems to be more severe than it has in the past. And uh, uh, the answer we've gotten back from from Major League Baseball is that these are the same. It's the same fabric and thickness as prior years, which to me, I don't uh, believe Nike that. Is not, Nike has not answered my questions on this one. Uh, but my question to Nike is: So you're saying you rolled out a whole 
new line and you made a huge deal about this, but you actually didn't change the pants at all. Yeah, that's uh, unbelievable. This is just a jersey top change. I don't know if that's viable. <laughs> yeah, that means that the president of Nike or all the people working at Nike have pocketed a lot of money and they're in the Bahamas. Come on. <laughs> nobody I mean, believes. That might be why I'm not hearing back from them. Yeah. yeah nobody believes that. <laughs> no, nobody believes that. What, what do you think? I mean, to me, it seems like the likely resolution is by May the story fades and nobody cares anymore, not even the players. But is there a different resolution? Um, I think there could be small tweaks as far as the fit goes. I think if if MLB and Nike went around and said, hey, look, we're going to go to every camp uh, again, we've already been there, and make sure the pants fit the way players want and dump a bunch of extra money into tailoring exactly how they like, maybe we'll dump this whole four buckets thing in the future and, and just do it the way it's always been done. Again, Nike's been doing this for four years. This is not really new to them. They shouldn't be shocked by the, what players are asking for. And, and so I think that could change. We could see um, maybe a couple more change, uh, teams go the Rose way and just ask for small modifications of things like the, the, the lettering on the back, which just doesn't look very professional, um, or, uh, or something like that. But I don't think you know, the fabric I don't think is going to change. Nike's not going to roll back. And, and you know, wearing last year's pants might seem like a very small thing, but the, the coloring has changed slightly. And so I don't think you're going to see a player in May wearing – you know, old Nike pants from, from two years ago. I think that part has to get changed. The easiest way to do that is just uh, figure out a way to, to make it more to the player's specification. It's just tremendous. I can foresee, like, by June, they look like a softball team. Everybody's wearing different <laughs> colors. And, you know, because, it, look, I, I, don't, I don't think that this is something you can minimize. You go out into any sport in a uniform, if you don't feel good wearing that uniform, that is going to affect your play, don't you think, Stephen? Yeah, and the players you talk to, they generally, by now they're shrugging it off. We're two weeks into the storyline, and, uh, and they think the, the design looks poor, some design decisions about changing mm. specific colors, they're changing certain stitching. They don't think that looks good. The fit of it, I think they're going to get over. Um, you know, we might just get complaints here and there. But, but there is something, too, just like, you know, this is extremely first-world problems, right? First-world athlete yeah. problems. Yeah. But, there, but you come up with a certain expectation of, of this is what you, the treatment you receive, the quality of, of everything you receive in the major leagues. And, and now they're receiving, a, I feel like they're, they're, they're getting a little bit gaslit here where they're being told this is a, the, the great new fancy uniform and Nike has spent six years making it and it's, it's the best of everything in the world. And they look at it and they say, I, don't, like, I think you're, <laughs> my eyes are telling me a different story. It's a wonderful story. I hope you stay on it for a while. Love the story. Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Stephen Nesbitt, boys and girls, a Michigan grad, I'm told, and worked at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette yes. before going to The Athletic, a with, fine quality newspaper. With Ed Bouchette. Ed Bouchette. He was yes. Ed Bouchette's teammate on, yes. the, on that. No, I'm serious. You, you, when you get to Major League Baseball, if you don't like the cut and feel of your uniform, that is going to affect how you play. It, yeah, you're playing a lot. It's <laughs> it really is. All right, we'll take a break. Peter King will join us when we return and talk about retiring and answer my question, which is, what am I doing still working? <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is sent to us by Joe Canali. This is his daughter, Sophia who performs under the name Wormcatcher. This is a song entitled Wormcatcher. What is that word that describes, you know, when you do something like that, 
epionymous? Epinimous? Epinimous, is that the word? Michael, is that how you pronounce it? Is that how it's pronounced? Uh, unsure. Yeah, okay. It's too long a word. Even Julius wouldn't use it. <laughs> it's Wormcatcher performing Wormcatcher. Michael, if people like Wormcatcher want to send in their original music, how do they do that? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. And this music plays in my friend Peter King. I have described many times to you, the listeners, when Peter King is on, that I have a photo in my home that I look at lovingly of Peter King and Doc Emmerich and Bob Lee and me when we won an award a few years back from the National Sports Media Association. And now I'm the only one working, okay? I'm the only one working. And I'm the oldest one, and I'm the only one working. As Peter retired the other day, and we paid, I hope somebody showed you this. We sort of, we paid tribute on Happy Trails at the end of the show. I hope you had a chance to see that. How did it happen? Did you just wake up one morning and say, I, I know, I know now I have to do this? Uh, Tony, it, it's been a bit of a gradual process, but I think the biggest thing that has happened is that over the last, I'd say, year, I have realized that a lot of the things that are really essential to doing this job at a high level like, you know, chasing who's going to be the next coach in Washington or who's going to be the offensive coordinator in Seattle or anything, that I just didn't care about that stuff anymore. I cared about things like what did Andy Reid call on the winning play in the Super Bowl and where did that play originate? How did it happen? Everything. Those are the things like real football that I cared about and still was able to do at a very, very high level. You know, I sat with Andy for 10 minutes after the Super Bowl alone with my videographer, and we got the full story on Tom and Jerry. Now, that's the stuff that I care about. And unfortunately, the business is caring about everything. And I just thought, listen, if I don't care, like, I don't care about the scouting combine at all. And so I, that means that it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of what I decided. Yeah. How long, these are the signs in the air when we all face them. How long yeah. were the signs in the air for you? How long a process until you said, you know what? I can't get this back again. I, I can't. I got to go. Well, I don't know. I'd say over the last year I've been thinking about it. And last spring, the King family, everybody went on a family vacation in Hawaii. And I got a lot of advice from people I love, like my wife, Ann, and my uh, daughters, and my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law. And the advice was all good. And I think the other thing, Tony, is that, look, 66 years old, uh, the three male members in my family, my two brothers and my father, were all dead by 64. Don Banks, my best friend in the business, died in the Courtyard Marriott in Canton in 2019 at age 58. I, I don't know. All those things, you just start to think about them a little bit. Will McDonough dying on the job. Paul Zimmerman stroke on the job. I, you know, while he's still working, it's just, you know, he never was the same. All that stuff you think about 
and you basically throw it all in. And plus, you know, Tony, I've done it for, I've covered the NFL for 40 years. Yeah. And at some point you start to think, hey, look, I, I congratulate people. I congratulate people like you who are still doing it uh, and still love doing it. That's fantastic. Congratulations. But for me, I, there's a bit of a, is that all there is? part of life that I started going through as well. So you now have had me on the the Kornheiser couch for uh, 10 minutes. I've tried to explain everything that that was going through my mind, so you know it all. I understand all of that. I go through all of that myself on a regular basis. But what I do is easier than what you do. You're a reporter. You got to yeah. go out there. You got to fill the notebook. Yeah. You got to beat somebody else to a particular story. You've got to get it right. I just sit in a chair and babble, you know, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I know what I do. I used to do what you did, you know, but yeah. I know what I do now. But you and I, and I'm significantly older than you, but you and I, this is what we've done our whole lives. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know what else I can do. I can't even shop online. <laughs> I can't do anything. Is there something you want to do, or are you going to sit there and say, well, we'll see? That's exactly what I'm going to do. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I I mean, I said to, uh, I've said to a bunch of people, maybe I'll drive a school bus, and I'm only half joking. I'm pretty much joking. I doubt I'll drive a school bus, but... I just don't know. Maybe I'll teach. I've thought about that. I have a couple of offers to do that, and maybe I'll do that. I think I would be good at it. My whole problem would be standing in front of a group of 19, 20, 21-year-olds and talking to them about this great, exciting, fun business. And Oh, by the way, there are no jobs out there. That's right. I mean, you know, right. I mean that's how, can you, can I do that with a straight face and say, go forward, and then you know, they're going to be waiting tables for five years, and then all of a sudden in six years they're going to be selling insurance for State Farm. I, so I don't know. I, I've thought about that. I've thought about a lot of things. And I think the best thing for me right now is just to sit back for the next two or three months, do nothing, try to get in shape, try to eat right, uh, try to make sure I live a few more years, and that's kind of what I'm going to do at least immediately. I understand what you're saying. I don't want to d go too deep into this, but I, I understand, given your family history, why you would look at this differently than somebody else might. That's Mickey Mantle, too. That's Mickey yep. Mantle. He never thought he'd live as long as he did, and he was abusive to his own yeah. body because he just figured, I'm going to be here for 42 years, and that's all it's going to be. So I, I, understand, I understand that. I feel that my next job, because I can't imagine not... I am so OCD that I cannot imagine not doing something, and it will be yeah. this. Yes, yes, welcome to Walmart. That's on aisle eight. Yes, <laughs> have a nice day. So if that's yeah. my next job, then I might as well stay in this job. I did get a note from somebody the other day who said, if people are misguided enough to pay you a lot of money to do something you like to do, why don't you continue to do it? What I worry yeah. about, and yeah. I don't know if yeah. you worried about this, I worry about slipping noticeably on the air, slipping noticeably. Yeah. And then you got to get me out. It's that day. You got to get me out. Did you ever have fears like that? Well, Tony, it's very interesting that you say that because I pretty much knew, I knew there was a very good chance this was going to be my last year. 
And I'd say with about six weeks to go in this season, I just said nobody is ever going to say that uh, that I mailed it in. And look, some people might say it, but if they do, they're not reading my column. So, you know, my last couple of columns, I spend 80 minutes with Kyle Shanahan a week before the Super Bowl, driving to work with him and then sitting in his parking spot, talking deep about some of his failures and what drives him and his dad and Brock Purdy and wrote, I think, a pretty damn good column. Next week, I'm in with Andy Reid at 11.45 at night, uh, Eastern time, him telling me about uh, what exactly happened to make Tom and Jerry work. And, you know, at 5.20 in the morning, I tell America exactly what happened. And, uh, you know, so those are the things that float my boat and always have. And I don't think you're going to be able to look at my last few columns and say, well, this guy mailed it in. He, he, you know, he had had enough. You could see it. Nobody could tell by my last year that I was ma- that that I was going to retire. Nobody. And That's, so, yeah, well, you, you know, earned this, Peter. Yeah, you had this I access so. because you earned this access over a long period of time. You put in the time, you put in the work, and for those people out there that don't understand this business, that's the reward. The reward yeah. is that it's like the Bob Woodward reward. Everybody talks to Bob Woodward because they know he's going to be a straight shooter with them. It's the same with yeah. you. Didn't you feel you earned it? Well, I think so, Tony, but it isn't like everybody talked to me necessarily, but enough people would talk to me. This has become a much, much, much more difficult business than the one I got into uh, in the eighties. And when I got to SI in 1989, I mean, my second or third year on the job, I remember going into the Dallas Cowboys locker room on a Friday, Michael Irvin seeing me there and saying, Holy bleep, we've got a sports illustrated game. We're in a sports illustrated game this week. And now, I mean, people don't care who you are or where you work because they got their own channel. They got their own podcast. They got their own whatever. I mean, there was a playoff game this year in Buffalo where after the game, uh, Travis Kelsey didn't talk to the press, even though he had a big game. And, you know, and look, I I never get upset about anything like that anymore. It is just the way it is. But times have changed. Life has changed. And if you can't deal with it or don't want to deal with it, then you shouldn't get into the business. Uh, This is exactly, I mean, in its own way, this is how Mike Krzyzewski felt and why he left coaching, how Roy Williams felt, because the new, there was a new order. It wasn't the old order anymore. They could live with it, but they didn't, they didn't love it. I had this conversation, Brian Gumbel retired. Brian Gumbel's my age. Yeah. I'm a few months older. And Brian told me at one point, he said, I just didn't want to be the guy who used to be Brian Gumbel. And I wonder, yeah. did, you, do you have, did you have any of that sense that I've been Peter King well, for a long I kept, time? If I kept, Tony, if I kept working without having the love of every part of the job that even three and four years ago I had, I used to love going to the scouting combine. You know how yeah. great it is yeah. Yeah. To, to walk into a bar in Nowheresville, not Nowheresville, but in, in downtown Indianapolis and see uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan and just uh, you know, have a conversation with him? 
I mean, that's fantastic. That is what this job is about. So it's wonderful. It's great. It's just that I like going to bed at 930. I don't like going to bed at 135 nights in a row. And when you go to the scouting combine, that's what your life is. I know. I know how this works. We, you know, I, I got out of all of that. And again, your job was much harder than mine, much harder. But I look at that picture and now, you know, I'm the Lone Ranger here. And I'm wondering what in God's name am I still doing? What am I doing? I'm going to go in the chair. Yeah. You know, we joke about it now. You should keep doing it because I can hear it in your voice. Even though you're angsty. You yeah. really still like doing this, and you I do. like you like sort of yelling at the moon. You you've got a little bit of Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino in you, but mostly you've still got an insane desire to try to come up with a solution to court storming. I mean, yeah. that's that's <laughs> what is that's what's fun about you, and that's why you should keep doing it. All right, I'll take your advice. Peter, it's a, yeah. it's a pleasure. Enjoy whatever is out in front of you. Enjoy the hell out of it. Thank you, Peter. Thanks a million, Tony. Take care. Peter King, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Email and jingle to follow. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Well, here comes Tony's mailbag. You got your emails, your faxes, and your this is John Ross, who says, I'm a newer listener, thanks to my brother Andrew, who lives in Tucson, and was kind enough to introduce me to the pod and make a living playing music for weddings. Thought you might enjoy my take on the mailbag song. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had my own David Aldrich moment a few weeks ago when you read a letter from Brett Fisher in Portland, Oregon. I thought, hey, I know that guy. Brett's my realtor who did a great job <laughs> helping me sell a condo and buy my current home. I had no idea he was a fellow little. I guess that's the connective tissue people talk about with this show. He's your realtor. That's great. Thank you to John Ross. And yeah, that's a terrific uh, version of the mailbag. Thanks, John. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad for us? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in, and you will be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me say the Rangers had a homecoming in Harlem late last night, and Magic Rat drove a sleek machine over the Jersey State line. Barefoot girls sitting on the hood of a Dodge drinking warm beer in the soft summer rain. The rat pulls into town, rolls up his pants. Together they take a stab at romance and disappear down Flamingo Lane. That's the opus by Bruce Springsteen. That's Jungle Land. That's fantastic. Yes, it is. Thanks to our guests today, Stephen Nesbitt, Peter King. Thanks to our sponsors today. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. From Frank Bazzo in Durham, North Carolina. Listening to your Swedish fish story... (laughs) I thought a couple of inopportune times when a crown decided to flee my mouth. Once was on a golf course when a chicken sandwich I bought at the turn yanked out a crown. I lost my Nassau and a tooth. It was an expensive (laughs) round. But my favorite crown story happened when I was playing softball years ago. I trotted out to first base and one of my crowns just popped out of my mouth somewhere in the dirt. I called time, explained I'd lost a crown. I got down on my hands and knees to look. A friend came over to help, got down in the dirt and said, which tooth is it? Like they were sitting on a mountain of molars by cuspids and incisors there at first base, and they wanted to narrow down the search. I said not too kindly, it'll be the one in the dirt. Thanks for making me laugh. 
from this Kevin Coy in Youngstown, Ohio. So this is the new game, Injurious Candy. Okay. <laughs> this could be your version of Discovery Channel's Shark Week, when people tell increasingly gruesome tales about being bitten until it all culminates with some dope missing a leg, talking about how he still loves to go pearl diving. You could call your segment Deadliest Chew. So if this is the new game, then I think we should stop playing around and focus on the great white of all tooth destroyers. The Jolly Rancher. Ooh. I'm willing to bet that anyone who has ever eaten more than a few of these will have at least one chilling and suspenseful story to contribute. Indeed, every child of the 80s or 90s that I know has a similar tale. While not chewy at all, the Jolly Rancher's unique alchemy renders it the single stickiest substance on Earth the very moment it comes in contact with even the slightest amount of moisture. So if you're foolish enough to actually bite down on the candy or even just hold it with your teeth, you'll find that it immediately attaches itself to the enamel as if it had been arc welded there. <laughs> the first time I fell victim to this treacherous confection, yes, I did say the first time, I was 10 years old and I ripped an old mercury filling completely away from a rear molar while trying to unstick the stupid thing. The second attack came when I was around 30. I simply got distracted, held it in one place for too long. That time it cost me a crown. I'll close here by saying Swedish fish, Tootsie Rolls, Juji Fruits. Come on, man. What are we even doing here? <laughs> when it comes to sinister candy, it's Jolly Ranchers. And he says, I know this isn't a competition, but if it was, I won. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, Jolly Ranchers. <clears throat> From Dan Jackson. It's a long one. Dan in Paris, Tennessee. I didn't Paris. know there was... Uh, yeah. Is there a Paris, Paris, Virginia. Is, is there a Paris, it? Texas? Do I have that Maybe. right? How, this, how about this for a crown and a dentist story? Recently, I found myself in the chair to receive a permanent crown. It was to replace the temporary crown put in place only a few days earlier. Removing the temporary is generally super easy and a task left for the young assistant. For on this day, she flushed the mouse. And so the great <laughs> use. And so the doc found himself next in the queue. Be mindful, my dentist is a 32-year-old former college offensive lineman. He is not a small man. And so much to my surprise, and after considerable violent violation, he declared, we're going to have to use the wax, and promptly left the room. What's the wax, I said. The assistant seemed a bit confused, mumbled something about the old days, and promptly brought in another 20-something for backup. Well, we're going to take this really sticky wax, the other youngster said, and apply it to the tooth, above the one that's going to come out. You will bite together and hold for 30 seconds, then we'll count to three and you open wide. Say what, I explained? <laughs> I mean, what are we even doing out here, man? I'm not a do-it-yourself kind of guy, Tony. I think you understand how that goes, but here's the kicker. Uh, what if the tooth above is also a crown, I asked, knowing it was definitely a crown? <laughs> These things aren't cheap. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens, was the response. And so, yeah, a very long 30 seconds later, that's what we did. Fortunately, science prevailed. Oof. So the wax worked. Dicey. From Dan Hughes in Potomac Falls, Virginia. Walked into my house tonight, went to the pantry, and threw out an unopened bag of Swedish fish in front of the woman I've been related to by marriage for 40 years. She didn't say a word. Trust me was all I said. I learned a lot from this pod. From Ryan Grove in Falling Waters, West Virginia. Talking about origins of names and how you get them, referring to Anthony from today's show. That was Tony Beeson. Oh, that's right. How we got his name. Yeah. People are naming their kids Liam, but not phonetically saying Liam. They are choosing Liam as a shortened version of William and pronouncing it as yum. Can't make this stuff up. At least be like me and name your kid Camden after Camden Yards in Baltimore, never expecting he would grow up and not play baseball after age six. He at least loves watching Orioles baseball. Could be worse. He could be a Yankee fan. Do you know who else named their son Camden? Who's that? Gregory Thomas Garcia. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That really is great. Yeah. From Jason Bullitt, Chuck and Roxy, episode 31, Saratoga County, New York. Please tell Frank Ciari or Sicari to eat it. After hearing the epic tale of how Anthony, I have a piano beast and received his first name, I felt obliged to give my first name origin story. My adoptive parents just spitballed some suggestions and eventually landed on Jason. Boom. That's it. That's the list. From Blaine in Atlanta, Texas. Is the new game weird baby names? If so, that's perfect. Almost four years ago to the day, I emailed to announce the birth of my son, Jeter Blaine Shores. Originally a joke because there's no way the woman I'm related to by marriage would let me name the masculine child after my favorite baseball player, right? Well, much to my surprise, she looks at me and says, that's brilliant. Now, four years later, we are beginning the journey to the big leagues in T-ball because we can't just let a good name like that go to waste. <laughs> no, you can't. Yeah. From Justin Johnson in Arlington, Virginia. Can you please take a few minutes today and explain the technical side of the AT&T outage? No, I can't do that. From Michael Kendrick in Rancho Cordova in California. I've been a parking officer at UC Davis in NorCal for a number of years now. Having started listening to the stinking podcast somewhere during the first few months of the pandemic, I've come to the conclusion, like pumpkin pie and squirrels, you're not fond of Subaru drivers. Here's something that I've worked on while working. Our staff Subaru owners are my number one parking citation recipients, hands down. Hmm. I've heard the Littles refer to them as somewhat smug and entitled. Well, as far as parking their outbacks wherever they please, regardless of posted and email notifications, they resemble those remarks. And I'd like to make the case to be the official parking officer of the Tony Kornheiser show. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Got a beautiful photograph, self-taken. Not actually self-taken. Someone took it of DG. DG was at Santa Anita. Oh. Said a beautiful track. Regards DG. <laughs> DG doesn't waste time. No, nope, doesn't. He just gets to the point. Gets in and gets he out. He lives a great life. He does. If he's not in Southern Florida, he's in California. California, yeah. A great life. From Gordy in North San Diego. Had my first Harry Melbourne moment this week at work. <laughs> Me talking to my boss. The official Division Four girls state champions of the Tony Kornheiser show are going to test drive our new Spenko golf insole. My boss, who? Me, Tony Kornheiser, PTI guy. My boss, okay. As much as I wish this dialogue was fabricated, it happened in exact Melbourne fashion. If I'm still employed next week, happy to send you and Michael a box of that. We could use that, right? So this is, um, we'll do one more. We'll do one more because this refers to somebody who sang for us just the other day. Oh, how nice. Um, so this is from Braden McQueen who writes, I'm a longtime fan of the podcast and PTI. I've been listening to your rant for over 20 years now. The show really does stink. However, the connective tissue that I've been hearing lately was too overwhelming not to write in. My last straw was when you played the music of a band called Jaunt last week. Remember that? Oh, yes. Jaunt. Yes. I went to high school with one of the members of that band. The first time you played that group back in 2017, I was very excited to let him know about it. This provided me with my own Ari Melbourne-esque moment, telling him who you were and where his music was being played. The next connective moment was talking about the Niagara Ice Dogs. As a graduate of the university that shares the same city as where their stadium is, I got a little excited. You've been talking about the great one a lot lately. The story I have about him, aside from growing up in the town that neighbored his, is my mother was asked on a date by him when they were teenagers. Yes, that Wayne Gretzky. Though at the time she said he was the average looking one. She was playing in a softball tournament while Wayne was playing baseball. She said he was very polite and kind. However, she declined because she had a boyfriend. Her real shock was when people asked her if she knew who that was and she sheepishly had no idea. Her father told her she had missed the shot with a soon-to-be NHL star. How's that for connective tissue? And he says, attached is a photo for News Channel 8. It's my uncle and his batting coach for the Winston-Salem Red Sox. 
some guy named Ted Williams. Hmm. My uncle was a young Canadian kid who felt slighted when he was moved to relief pitcher as it was relatively new. He quit baseball to marry his ex-wife and was the best man at some pitcher named Sparky Lyle's wedding, whoever that was. <laughs> a great email. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Oh, Teddy, did you get my friend request? Oh, I'll have to check. for losers cause the chain is always broken by the avalanche of colors the mountain spiraling wondering how i got here and why 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 i'm just a speck on your flower horton who's he i mean i hear the elephants tell lies lie 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 I should be harder on myself The sunscreen in my mouth Doesn't cover up the burns beneath my words I know I'm anxious, but who isn't nowadays? I'll only say what pleases you I like the color red Cinderella slipper, it fell off Should have been quicker, but those evil stepsisters Made a pumpkin out of her So her pretty dress turned into rags But who told her that blue was her color? I should be harder on myself The sunscreen in my mouth doesn't cover up The burns beneath my words, I know I'm anxious But who isn't nowadays? I'll only say what pleases you I like the color red I should be harder on myself The sunscreen in my mouth doesn't cover up The burns beneath my words, I know I'm anxious But who isn't nowadays? I'll only say what pleases you the color red when it rains I pick up worms to save them from the crushing souls of human shoes and or of thank yous When it rains I wear my boots so I can dance in greys and blues beneath the velvet moon The perfect way to die Excuse Stunted to raise a child. 
Stay as my friend. 